Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It teaches you from a very young age that there is something inherently wrong with you and that it is so easy for people to hate you for whatever reason they, they do. Yeah, the reason for you is just who you are. I think about that a lot as we plan on how we are going to parent. Once you start thinking about discipline and life lessons, we ultimately want him to just know that he is inherently beautiful and inherently good and perfect the way he is and deserving of love and deserving of respect. I'm your host, Natalie Dranovac, and welcome to The Modern Women, a show that seeks to share the stories and experiences of women that may be out of our line of sight. I was really looking forward to bringing you today's episode with Caroline Catus, who is joining us from New York City. Caroline is the major gifts officer at The Trevor Project. The Trevor Project, for those who don't know, is an American not-for-profit organization focused on preventing suicide among lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth. The Trevor Project has The Trevor Lifeline, a confidential service that offers trained counselors for anyone to call. It is organizations such as The Trevor Project that are helping people get back on their feet and providing immediate help when they need it most, which is why, in the absence of sufficient government funding, philanthropy is so needed. Throughout this episode, we explore Caroline's own personal life and what connects her to her work at The Trevor Project. We discuss the importance of being an ally as both a member of society and specifically as a parent so that we can all do better for our youth. If you love this episode or any other episodes of the podcast, make sure you're subscribed wherever you enjoy listening so you don't miss any new episodes when they go live. All right, Caroline, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Great to be here. Let's kick off with your rapid fires. Describe the last dream you remember. I woke up this morning and shared a dream with my wife that I was on this hill sliding down fast and I remember realizing, whoa, this is like what happens in dreams and then clicking, oh, I'm in a dream. And then all of a sudden I was with um, this little girl and this boy was bullying her. This just happened Last night was so funny. And um, the boy was holding a slushie and I poured the slushie on his head and said, you, you need to be nice to this little girl. <laughs> and um, you need, and I specifically said, you need to make other people feel safe around you. 
Wow. You know what? I feel like that's going to line us perfectly up for the rest of this interview. Right. What a great metaphor. Um, <laughs> the last thing you did or bought, which you thought you might regret. So I actually didn't buy this today, but today, again today, it's a busy day. I was looking at this ball gown that I got an ad for on Instagram and um, I work in an organization whose color is orange, um, the logo, and it was an orange ball gown. And I was considering purchasing it because one day we will have galas again once we've uh, gone over this pandemic, uh, but they didn't have uh, my size. So I unfortunately could not buy the ball gown. So now we're thinking actually probably could have regretted that decision. <laughs> yes, especially if we no longer will ever have galas. Uh, something you've learned about yourself during COVID? That I'm a great mom. Hey, that's a good one. I like that. Um, what's a topic you wish you knew more about? I just signed up for Spanish classes, so I am very much looking forward to speaking Spanish and learning this love language and uh, or this language of romance and being able to connect with all the other people who speak the language. I should know three languages and I know one. So my parents are supremely disappointed in me. Um, describe yourself in a word. Bright. Perfect. So I really want to set the scene by allowing listeners to know you and understand what it is about you or what you may have experienced that has influenced your decision to work at the Trevor Project. Uh, let's dive into your personal life, which I'm sure everybody loves to do. Um, for those who know me, it's something I tend to do. I dive straight in because I do find that the deep end and scratching over those surface level conversations and topics um, as how we learn most about others. So on that note, could you describe yourself in the deep? I am Caroline Katus Nelson. I'm married to a wonderful wife and we had a son in February. So we are new moms and discovering how to be moms and discovering how to be partners while moms. And at the same time, balancing our careers of how to parent during a pandemic uh, and be able to continue to thrive in our careers and focus on work and find that balance. At the same time, keeping connected with friends and family who are across the world. And it is so easy via FaceTime and all of these applications that we have but I have seen a little bit of Zoom fatigue, if you will, of folks um, feeling isolated and feeling like um, they've had enough FaceTimes, they've had enough Zoom meetings. So right now in particular, really trying to reach out to folks as much as I can and send texts and send um, just even a little emoji that you're thinking of them. Mm, that's beautiful. It is such an interesting time that we're all going through and I find that you learn about a lot about yourself, definitely, and also the way in which you're connecting with others and that there's been so many friendships which you thought you would be kind of maintaining and some have slipped and some have kind of, you've really boosted up into, I guess, the, the prominence of your life for sure. Um, and up until this point, would you say that you've kind of like had an easy life, a tough life? You know, have you had many challenges or has COVID kind of become the first big whammy? I think that... A challenging life is a little relative um, because there are some people who you could say that you would look at them and say, wow, they have had such a challenging life. And to them, they had the most beautiful, the be most beautiful life. And that is their life. Uh, I think that 
as with a lot of folks, you've had ups and downs and hardships and things to overcome and things that you've had to adapt. Um, I've been so lucky and privileged um, throughout my life, uh, but also have faced challenges. And uh, so I would say I'm probably pretty normal <laughs> to, to, to the to to a, a white woman born in California, um, immigrant parents, uh, who is gay and who lives in New York City uh, in a interracial relationship. So really, I guess it depends on who you ask. Yeah, I also think it's also the perspective that one holds in their own life around how they look at challenges for sure, which I think in the way that you've described that is kind of that perfect mindset around you would probably look at you've had challenges however everything can kind of be um, overcome and the way in which you approach many things so I hope listeners can actually hear because I can hear little William squealing in the background uh, (gasps) because I want to unpack whether your life experiences and identity have informed your role as a parent um, and the work that you do because I often think that uh, the perspective of a gay parent is not often discussed Um, and so how have your experiences growing up impacted the way that you are going to raise William? When you're gay or when you have certain life experiences or who you are born as and inherently are, uh, there can be a lot of hatred um, towards you. Um, The LGBTQ community in particular, but uh, black communities, uh, communities of color, there is so much hatred towards um, different communities. And it teaches you from a very young age that there is something inherently wrong with you and mm. that there, it is so easy for people to hate you for whatever reason they, they do. But for you, but the reason no substance is... also. Yeah, the reason for you is just who you are. And I think about that a lot as we plan on how we are going to parent Um it's different when you have a, a newborn baby, you just give them a lot of love. But when once you start thinking about discipline and life lessons, we ultimately want him to just know that he is inherently beautiful and inherently good and perfect the way he is and deserving of love and deserving of respect. It's something that um, Lisa and I, my wife, when we've ever spoken about if we were to have a child and for those listening who have asked me if we're having kids we do not plan to (laughs) but we've often said and I wonder if you agree with this like I know if I were to have a child I would have to prepare them that they would be bullied simply for the fact that I was their mother and so is that something that you factor in that you're going to have to teach William that he may you know the world as although we are progressing the world is cruel and mean as you've established like is that something that you know you'll have to have that conversation one day with like hey you might go to preschool and be ridiculed because you have two mummies or absolutely uh, we actually at our IVF clinic um, William was born um, through in vitro fertilization they had um, this psychiatrist on staff that you connect with just to kind of talk about the journey and talk about your experience and think about um, how you'll raise the child and talk to your child just about this. And one of the things that we established is really thinking about how to normalize our family and to normalize the experience of having him being created with the help of doctors and 
um, a lab. And so we came up with this idea um, with the help of the psychiatrist is to create a book and you can, there's so many websites that help you do those photo books that allow text and uh, just talk about it in really simple terms that um, babies can understand that says uh, there are many families and you can have pictures of the different families that you have, that you have in your life, um, older families, younger families, gay families, black families. Um, brown families, um, families with two dads, families with two moms, and show that how many different families there are, and then say, and this is our family, and show a picture of uh, Deidre and I uh, when we got married, and say, when we started our family, we wanted to make, wanted to have children, and so when you are having children, when humans are having children, you need parts from a woman and you need parts from a man. But because our family had two women, we went to the doctor and they helped us. And mm. if you have um, what the psychiatrist explained is that if you have a really simple answer for the child, then they will get it. I mean, they don't need to understand the science and the embryos and all of that, but as long as they know what's happening, they have it normalized inherently in themselves and they can feel secure with that. And so if they are bullied in school, they know that they have a story and it's not just weird because it's something that they know is totally normal and because families come in all different shapes and sizes and makeups. That's such a beautiful tip, and I think so many could take that on board. Do you think it's easier or harder for kids these days growing up to figure out their sexual identity or gender expression? I think like if you look back on yourself personally in your journey, and I, I'm not sure as to when you kind of realized or like I, I know for me I was growing up in high school and I look back and I, I was sleeping with my friends, so I didn't ever question it as much, but there did come a time when I think I was 19 and I was like, I should probably really like tell people this. Mm. Um, and I was curious, like, you know, these, and everyone says these days there's so much fluidity around sexual identity and gender expression and it's kind of becoming the norm, which I think is a very broad way to share that because I don't necessarily think in all regions and places, uh, but I was wondering for you if you think it is easier these days for youth. I think that youth these days do have a lot more examples of LGBTQ folks that they can see their lives being as they grow older and as they become an adult. Uh, I remember in high school, I actually didn't come out until my, my 20s. I didn't know I was gay. Um, but when I look back at the certain indicators, <laughs> they were there. <laughs> certain stereotypes were certainly there. Uh, and I, when... Sorry, no, I was just going to say, I always find when people say, when did you come out? And I was like, if there was a closet filled with homosexuals, no one's coming out, trust me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but so I think today with our interconnected world, more representation in the media, young people do have an opportunity to um, see others like them. And I, I didn't know a single lesbian in high school, and um, so I didn't see or have examples of knowing what that could look like. I think that I maybe one of my friend's moms might have had lesbian moms, and we remember hearing about that, and but not really knowing what that meant because we were so young, um, but the, it wasn't as prominent, or at least what I saw. And my mom had some gay guy friends, but I really didn't even 
connect that there like that there could be gay women too and it just wasn't something that was really um that I was raised with and so I didn't really even know that was an option for me but I think that young people now know that there's some more options there's definitely more resources out there to to uh for them to find on online and through social media and um, the work at, that we do at the Trevor Project, which I know we'll get to, um, there's tons of resources there as young people are exploring their sexuality and gender orientation. Uh, so it, it's a different world in a sense, but uh, there are so many young people in the United States where I live and across the country that feel still feel like they might be the only one that feels yeah. the way they feel and feel that isolation. Honestly, even as you said that, I was like, I don't think I knew anyone when I was young who was gay. Yeah, like even looking back on that, I don't think I had any moment. And then I happened to somehow come across the L word. And I was like, oh, <laughs> there are lesbians who don't look just, a, you know, the typical stereotype. And I think that raises the importance of why you have to see yourself in the mainstream and the importance of actually having those role models, because then all of a sudden you realize that actually you are normal and you can lead a normal, successful life. Uh, so I do want to Sorry, I do want to dive into the Trevor Project. Uh, I was shocked, kind of embarrassed, actually, when my wife said she didn't know about it. I had another um, gay friend of mine, and when I told him, he's like, Lisa, you're a bad lesbian. (laughs) Um, So could you share, actually, what the Trevor Project is uh, for those who don't know? Sure. The Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization focused on LGBTQ young people. So we run a 24-7 hotline and text and chat service that LGBTQ young people 25 years and under can reach out when they need to talk to a crisis counselor. So young people reach out when they're discovering their sexual orientation or gender identity. They reach out when they're considering suicide. They reach out when they're going through a breakup. If they um, are in an intimate partner violence situation, if they're in a violent situation at home, if they are homeless, if they're dealing with substance abuse, young people are just reaching out anytime they're in crisis. And we have trained crisis counselors to um, help them through whatever they're going through and help them access resources that could be available to them as well. And then we have other program areas like Trevor Space, which is a peer-to-peer safe social networking site where young people from around the world are connecting. And actually Australia uh, is um, an area where we have a lot of users. We have about 200,000 users from over 80 countries. And um, talking about where Right now in the United States and the world, there is so much hatred towards gay people. I mean, it is illegal to be gay in countries and to be able to have this online safe platform where young people can go find people like themselves is so important um, for their, just like what we said, for their own validation and knowing that there can be, there can be a life for them. And was it kind of, I guess, your own personal experiences in life or how did you find yourself working for them? Like what drove you to be a part of the organization? I have always worked in nonprofits. I was um, a caller for those um, that went to university. You might get these calls um, from students asking for donations. And that was my job in college. I would ask alumni and 
uh, and parents for donations. And I really loved it. And I loved talking about our university. And I was always drawn to social justice issues. Uh, if, if we were having a kegger at our house, um, if you wanted a cup for the beer, you had to make a donation into this little box that we would design based off of whatever organization we were raising funds for. And so after college, I figured there are a lot of, I was going to college in San Diego and was looking at the United States and saw that there were, I knew there were a lot of nonprofits in New York. So I packed up two suitcases and moved to New York City and uh, luckily had a friend who let me stay with her for a few weeks and got a job um, at a large nonprofit and um, just kept on working. And uh, suicide has actually um, affected my life um, quite a bit. I've had multiple family members who have died by suicide and a best friend who died by suicide. And I, bri bridging the feeling that I shared about not feeling like you are inherently good or not feeling like you belong or should be as you are and the effect that suicide has had on um, me and my family, this was just, the Trevor Project was an incredible bridge between those things. And um, I worked before in um, at an organization called the Joyful Heart Foundation, and it was focused on domestic violence and sexual assault and child abuse. And so I went from rape to childhood suicide. And I, people, I, I joke that, you know, these are hard dinner topic conversations, so I might not be the best guest to invite over for your yeah. dinner party. What do you do opens a lot of can of worms when you jump onto the table. <laughs> exactly. And have you talked about to your son about consent um, and so, <laughs> or about suicide? Um, but in both cases, there is so much light. You can survive after somebody uh, something happens to you. And if you do reach out for help um, at a, a crisis line, somebody can help you there too. And so healing can happen and life can be lived. And so even though they are tough subjects, there is so much pride and joy that comes from it. And you are the major gifts officer for the Trevor Project. Could you tell us a bit about what that role does for those who wouldn't understand? Yes. Major gifts officer is um, the stewarding of major gifts. And at Trevor, we consider a major gift $5,000 and above. So I get to work with our donors who are donating that per year and uh, engage them with our work. Uh, so we mentioned already about the galas. It's inviting folks to galas. It's hosting dinner parties and sharing uh, the Trevor Project's work. It's creating pr proposals for funders to support different program areas um, and really celebrating generous community members who want to be a part of our life-saving work and celebrating them and celebrating our work and keeping them informed, sending articles, sending our research, um, showing ways that they can um, take action so it's a, it's a great way to kind of bridge my, my love of people and my love of causes. And why is that role important for organizations like the Trevor Project and even more broadly, those other ones that you've touched on? So um, in fundraising in general, um, you can be uh, kind of a jack of all trades. You can be a director of development and focus on corporate partners and foundations and smaller individual giving and peer-to-peer um, -peer donations and major gifts. 
Um, but as an organization starts to get larger, you do have to have um, focused individuals because um, different um, those folks that are giving in those different ways need to be cultivated and stewarded in unique ways. Um, you are going to interact with a donor um, that gives you $25,000 differently than you would uh, interact with a corporate partner that gives you $5,000 or $5 million. Uh, so you really want to tailor the experience that the donor has based off of their interests, based off of their own philanthropic goals, uh, if it's corporate, likely marketing goals. Uh, so um, my, my focus is really bringing those folks on and getting them involved. See, I really wanted to touch on this because I wanted to raise the awareness of um, the importance of philanthropy because I was curious to know, you know, where does real impact come from for those listening? Is it that we sit here and we hope Jeff Bezos donates $100 million or is it that we all look into our back pockets and think, well, where, you know, do I have 100? Do I have 50? Do I have 500? Do I have 5,000? You know, where is that real change going to come from that you see most? Absolutely. Please donate any, any dollars you can. Um, but it's really what you, what you can and are able to give. Um, sometimes folks think $5 doesn't make that big of a difference, or, but it really does. Uh, at Trevor, our grassroots fundraising makes up most of our uh, most of the dollars raised because it is those folks who say, I'm going to donate $10. It is that young person who found out that their best friend called the Trevor Project, so they donated their allowance that week. And it really can be, yes, there will be those large gifts, but every an organization is sustained on the community members that are giving year after year these, these dollar donations. There is a power of numbers. Um, it's just a lot like why we vote. It's power of numbers. <laughs> it's um, Philanthropy is very much a democracy. And uh, if you make whatever donation amount you make, you are a donor, you are a part of the community, you are investing in this uh, program because you see and you believe in what it is doing and you are the fuel that helps that mission. Uh, so whether you decide to donate $5 to a couple organizations or pull it to one, it makes an incredible impact. And um, it's important to talk about, um, we're talking about parenting and talking about philanthropy. Talk to you, bring your children involved into your philanthropy. Ask them what organizations that they would be interested in. I've act, we were starting to receive a lot more money from folks that when we Google them, we wonder their connection. And then when we, when we get in contact with them, it's because they're, um, the young person in their lives uh, told them about mm -hmm. the Trevor Project and how important it was and brought them in on that philanthropic journey and to set a goal for yourself. Like, how much do I want to spend this year and be able to spend that throughout the year? That's beautiful. Um, I'm really glad that you touched on the, the democracy of it because I was curious as to what is the role of governments for organizations like the Trevor Project? Um, you know, if mental health is such a pervasive issue for US citizens, because I mean, Trevor, although Trevor is global, let's really speak to the US numbers that we know. Um, why is the government not supporting them? You know, because I think that's the idea of like, well, you need philanthropy because you aren't having any other financial aid per se. Yeah, so at Trevor, we don't receive any government support. We received one grant from the city of New York to provide a training uh, for uh, teachers in, uh, in New York City to uh, know about the, the signs of suicide in young people um, and how to get their students' resources. Uh, but right now, we are uh, really pushing and working towards getting 
988 pass. So just like we have 911, uh, we are wanting uh, we are working to create a hotline where you can dial 988 and get mental health support. Um, and so that would really filter to a lot of different um, hotlines. Um, so, and you would be given options. So if you called 988, you would hear, um, you could contact a general crisis line, or you can um, select two or whatever number it would be for veterans. Um, we are really pushing and advocating for LGBTQ young people to be listed because suicide is the second leading cause of death among all young people, but lesbian, gay, bisexual, and trans young people are more than five times as likely than their peer, straight peers to attempt suicide. So we need dedicated services for these communities that are most at risk. Um, so that's one, th that's one thing that government can do is really ha have more access to these resources and have and the democratization of it and have it be simple enough for everyone to use where they don't have to Google and find a long 1-800 number that this is something that's available to any anyone, anywhere, and it's ingrained in our society just as 911, 411, 311 is. Mm -hmm. um I'm really glad that you shared those statistics around the increase of those who you know, are thinking of suicide or those who have, uh, because I often find, and I wonder if it happens to you, this idea of people go, well, why does it still matter? You know, For example, in Australia, we finally had same-sex marriage passed, so everyone's like, it's all fine. Like You, you have everything you wanted now. What's the bullying? But you know, I was uh, having this conversation with a friend of mine who he he from a very young age knew that he was gay and he grew up just outside of Sydney. So, you know, I live in this metropolitan bubble. Um, my friends are supportive. My family is supportive. I, my sexuality feels safe to me. Uh, but he still tells me how stories of, you know, older men growing up around him who were gay, who were having sex with other men, but were doing it discreetly because they were having, you know, they had a wife and kids, etc. or, you know, being a young kid going to a Christian school and being bullied. So what do you say to people when they say, you know, when we are accepting now in society, this isn't a problem. Yeah, we, we hear that. Um, there is still so much hate towards LGBTQ young people, um, specifically in the United States. Um, I can speak to that. Uh, we, we heard the statistic that they are more likely to attempt suicide. Um, we at the Trevor Project conduct mental health research and we found out we found that 50% of LGBTQ young people have been bullied for their sexual orientation or gender identity um, and the bullying still happens. Uh, there just uh, only a few weeks ago was discrimination banned against sexual orientation or gender identity. So even though we had um, even though same-sex marriage had passed you still could be fired for being gay. Mm -hmm. You could you could get married, but you would you could get fired for having your wedding photo on your desk. So it's what kind insane. of freedom? Insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it, it is actually just insane that we live in this world which just points the finger for no reason to. Like I personally find that at no part of my life have I ever come across someone and I'm trying to, you know, uh, throw my sexuality upon them, mm. but they have this need or reasoning to point the finger and tell me, you know, how wrong it is. Like I don't understand that in people's psychology. Absolutely. And for young people in particular, they internalize that. They internalize that, that who they are and who these feelings that they have are internally evil or internally bad. Mm. And that causes them anxiety and that causes them depression and that causes them to 
not want to be alive and think that the world would be better without them. We hear from young people that don't think that there are any people like them in the entire world and don't think that they will ever be loved or don't think that they will ever find um, somebody to uh, love them. And we have to make sure that they feel that love and they feel that respect and that they know that they're um, that there are tons of people who might not accept them for who they are, but there are so many people that will celebrate them for who they are and they are deserving of that love and respect. And so many times in governments, um, administrations, there that there is negative rhetoric and young people are internalizing that and that is causing them to um, attempt suicide at higher rates. I was hoping you could also speak to the importance of using the correct um, terms and even the umbrella terms. Like I know there are progressive queer organizations in New South Wales, which is where I live, who use LGBTQIA+. And I was curious as to why the Trevor Project only uses LGBTQ. <laughs> um, yeah, we, the Trevor Project uses LGBTQ uh, as a standard uh, that we have somewhat umbrelling Q into um, Q as queer into into the mix. Um, but it's definitely not an erasure of folks who are intersex or two-spirit um, or ace. Uh, and there are a lot of other identities as well. Our, we, we published a mental health research study for the past two years in a row, and we asked the young people to self-identify and um, they identified in over 80 different ways. Uh, so um, there are umbrella terms that uh, we could have an acronym that includes all of those, but some organizations use um, umbrella terms. Mm. It's funny how everyone's like, oh, it's LGBTQI, XYZ, and I just think, just shut up. <laughs> like, just shut up and use the terminology that someone is kind of indicating to you that they most identify with, um, which I'd love to delve into, you know, as people living our lives day to day, how can we offer support and help to those who need it rather than at worst being homophobic and perhaps at best being silent and ignorant? Because I find, and it's often the case, and I, I say this without you know any criticism, but most are unlikely to be motivated to help a community, a minority or a group whose hardship is not something that they can experience or relate to. Um, you know, people tend to care about things that are impacting them or that they at least understand. So for those listening, how do we get the majority on board to be helping out with organizations like this and with, uh, for reasons like this? I'll give you another stat that at the Trevor Project, our research found is that one supportive adult can decrease an LGBTQ young person's thoughts of suicide by 40%. So wow. at the Trevor Project, we attempt to be that person, to be that supportive person. Um, but anyone can be that supportive person. Uh, and that can be at work by showing your allyship and with a rainbow flag or anything rainbow in your office. Uh, and studies have been sh shown that actually if you do show allyship to the LGBTQ community, other marginalized communities actually feel safer in your presence because they know that you're accepting of the LGBTQ yep. community. And um, or if there is a family member in, the, um, in your life who is part of the LGBTQ community, 
make sure that they know you're an ally. You don't have to necessarily tell them, but you can talk positively about a gay person you know or a gay celebrity or talk positively about the LGBTQ community uh, or talk positively about advocating for um, this marginalized community. And just knowing that that young person, knowing that there is a person who supports them can is literally life-changing. Um, and assuming we can't solve the big problems of fixing the inequalities of the world, I'd love to wrap this up by focusing on a parent's responsibility. Now, I know you've shared how you're going to speak with William, but I'd like to dispel the idea that you only talk to your child if you suspect that they may be LGBTQ and instead make it an assumed discussion, you know, somewhat of a birds and the bees 2.0. So, you know, for you, for those listening who have kids and they're thinking, okay, well, when and how should I talk to my children about their, their sex, sexual identity, their gender expression or, sorry, orientation, when should we be having these discussions? I think that parents should do research. We are so lucky to live in this digital age that uh, if you want to have the birds and the bees conversation, if you want to talk about, LG if you suspect that your um, young person in your life is LGBTQ and want to talk to them about that, do some online research. Um, the Trevor Project actually has a coming out handbook and it was designed for young people to think about how their coming out journey and how they might come out to folks. But we've heard uh, from parents and family members that it was actually so helpful for them because they are able to really see what is happening inside the minds and hearts of these young people and what they are going through as they are planning on coming out and how sexual orientation and gender identity can be a little bit of a watercolor. You don't just fit into one stripe of a rainbow and um, you it is more fluid and um, you, you could identify in a way one day and discover that you're a different identity another day and you can have fluid or you can know from a very early age and we have to be able to make space for all of that. And so parents should do their research. I'm sure there's organizations that are focused on how to talk about safe sex to your um, to your young ones and have just have that be inclusive whether you think you're um the, ch the young person in your life is part of the lgbtq community or not sex ed should be all inclusive and if they happen to be part of the lgbtq community they will feel a lot safer opening up to you knowing that you have included them in in this conversation i completely agree with that and i also find you know, so often it's the idea that when someone's come to you and they are being bullied, that we're, we're being taught how to handle that as opposed to actively teaching our children to not be bullies in society and life and be kind to other people. You know, perhaps that might actually get rid of a lot of the problems along the way. Absolutely. Uh, we, my wife and I talk all, all the time about making sure that William is kind and uh, reevaluating how we treat everybody and how we treat each other because they are sponges. They see everything and how to make sure just when you are parenting, you are reparenting yourself in many ways and relearning um, the things that you um, have value and making sure that you are polite and having manners and um, anything that you would expect of your child, you need to, you need to present to them and show them as well. This has been such a beautiful conversation. I really have appreciated your time so much today, Caroline. Uh, but my final question is uh, it's the veil of ignorance. 
It's the notion and thought experiment that you are going to be born. You do not know where you're going to be born. Uh, you do not know your age, not your age, sorry, <laughs> your sex, your gender expression, your economic status, and you can change one thing in the world or perhaps you create you know, whatever future it is that you would like to see. What would be that thing for you? That we're all gay. Everyone's gay. <laughs> um, no, if I if I could change, so what? The question is again: if I could change one thing about reality, yeah, you can pick one thing because it's the idea you're going to be born and you don't know where you're going to be born, so you don't know if you'll have the privilege that you've experienced. And so, if you could be born anywhere without knowing the color of your skin, your economic status, what would you hope to create so then the world is a little more fair? I think I'll go back to what we were talking about, kindness, uh, and just where whatever situation I'm born in, hoping that um, the folks taking care of me treat me with kindness and teach me kindness, and because that kindness can be shared with the world, and every room you walk into, you have the opportunity to spread that kindness wherever you go. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Natalie. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Modern Women. If these conversations are delivering value to you, it would be so helpful and appreciated if you head to Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you love to listen and rate and review us as that helps us build this incredible community. And ultimately, that is what this is all about, building this community as big as we can to help as many women as possible. And all of your ratings and reviews truly help with that. This podcast is produced by The Modern Women. And before I go, a shout out to Chunky Love for the original music and Podpace for all of the editing. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.